Welcome back to the Pregnish Podcast, where we talk about incredible paths to parenthood and the lengths people go to to create their families. Today's episode, How Miss USA, Nia Sanchez, and Her Husband's Marriage Got Stronger Through Infertility, is presented by First Response Pregnancy and their new Comfort Check Pregnancy Test Kit, which includes eight pregnancy tests so you can test early and often. Former Miss USA, Nia Sanchez grew up learning Taekwondo and martial arts. She never considered herself a beauty pageant contestant, let alone winner. In 2014, Nia won the Miss USA pageant as Miss Nevada and went on to represent the United States in the Miss Universe competition, where she won first runner-up the same year. While competing, she had her boyfriend, now husband, actor Daniel Bucco, right by her side. The two have always been successful at whatever they put their minds and hearts to, and didn't imagine they'd have any issues starting their family when they were ready. After all, they were young and healthy. There's this thing in my background and culture. It's like, you're Mexican. Like, you can pop out babies like crazy. Like, your family is very fertile. My grandfather is one of 13. My mother, who is, she's not Mexican. My my dad's side is Mexican. My mother is one of six. And they were all born within a year of each other. I was conceived on the honeymoon. So in my mind, I'm like, oh, I got, I got all the fertile genes. Like it's in my DNA. I am ready to have children. I'm young. I'm healthy as I'm sure you've heard that phrase before, because so many of us think that, oh, I'm young and healthy. Let's do this. The struggle to conceive that Nia and Daniel encountered surprised them both, but they saw it as an opportunity to work together towards a common goal. And now they say that this chapter, which they navigated behind the scenes has brought them even closer. So Nia, it's so wonderful to have you today. Thanks for being on the Pregnancy Podcast. Thanks for having me. I'm really excited to be here and talk with you and share my story and my experience because as we know, we all have a different journey and a different experience and I'm excited to dive into it. Awesome. Well, like before we dive into it, I always start each episode by asking very generally how you describe yourself when someone meets you. Who are you? Ooh, I love that. I'm an extroverted introvert. I feel like I'm a natural introvert, but I know how to, I I love being around people still, which is weird, but I recharge when I have my quiet time. So I'm that type of person. I love getting to know people more on a one-on-one relationship. And, um, I just feel like I'm a, a bubbly person in general and people people are my people. I love me- making new friends and all of that. Well, that's probably one reason you stuck out on the pageant scene because you know of your bubbly great personality, the fact that you're social, the fact that you're a people person. Can we go back to the pageant life because you know it's oh, yeah. so funny, Nia. You are the third beauty contestant queen uh, title holder I have interviewed in the last uh, two months. Isn't that strange? Oh, I, so I interviewed Dr. Deidre, who was former Miss America. Mm-hmm. I, I saw that. Did you see that? I interviewed oh, okay. um, a former Miss Rhode Island and mm-hmm. now you. So I don't know if there's a connection between beautiful people and infertility, but I, I love it. I think it's fascinating. <laughs> But what got you involved in the pageant life? And can you bring us back to those days? 
So my pageant world was completely on a whim, very random. I actually grew up in martial arts. I had a father that was born into a military family. He joined the military himself and then worked at a prison. So as you can imagine, being me being his only daughter, he put me into martial arts because he wanted me to be strong. He wanted me to be able to defend myself. So my entire childhood and youth was very tough tomboy and like no makeup like I wanted to look intimidating to the people I was competing against so makeup was not a thing I wanted to be as like tough as possible so pageants were on a whim as I said and I was I was flipping through channels when I was 19 years old watching tv I landed on Miss USA and I've always been a girly girl at heart I was just put into a more masculine sport and thrived and enjoyed that so when I saw this like glitz and glam I thought oh that would be fun let me try that out and like long story short ended up being a five-year journey before I got to the Miss USA stage and I competed locally even internationally representing the U.S. and some smaller pageants but it it took quite some time to get there and I'm kind of glad that it did I, I really believe I try my best to believe in God's timing on things. And so it was like, yeah, I wanted to be Miss USA when I was 19 years old and started competing, but it wasn't meant for me until I was 24. I needed to have some more life experiences in between then. And what was that moment like when you were crowned Miss USA? Because that's not something most of our audience, you know, a few of our past uh, podcast (laughs) guests understand, but most of our audience cannot, has not been in that situation. Can you bring us back to being crowned? It's just such a surreal moment. It almost feels like an out-of-body experience. You're standing there in the top two holding hands with the other girl. The other girl, Audra, who was Miss North Dakota, we were friends the entire two and a half, almost three weeks leading up to the pageant. She had traveled to Vegas where I was living before. So we had connected long before we got to that final two moment on stage. So I really cared for her. And I was thinking in my head, whether it's you or me, like it's, it's, just going to be so happy, whatever this moment is. And then you're crowned and you know, your life is changing in an instant. When you win Miss USA, you are immediately whisked off to New York city. You live in the title holder apartment in midtown Manhattan. I had never been to New York in my entire life. So it was a completely different world. You know, all the skyscrapers and being close to central park and and all of that. So it's, it's life changing to say the least. Absolutely. That's incredible. How did it change your life? I mean, it sounds like pretty immediately it changed your life, but both immediately and longer term, what what changed for you? Right. Immediately your life changes because you're in a new city. You move in with the current Miss Universe and Miss Teen USA. You go on a media week tour, which is up at 4 a.m. in the room for interviews starting at 6 a.m. moving forward all day long for a full week. And it's just, it's a whirlwind. So that's like short term. It's like, whoa, what just happened to my life? But long term, like it, it definitely opens up doors for whatever you want to do and whomever you are. So for me, I love teaching women self-defense. And so I continue to do so. And I feel like it opens up that door and that conversation I teach at universities. I teach for different business organizations. I also teach women's groups. So it's it's one of those things that gets that conversation going. It's definitely life-changing and I'm so grateful for it. It was the best way to describe being Miss USA is a roller coaster experience. There's so many highs, but there's also lows. It's It's draining and exhausting in its own way, but 
overall big picture, such, such a blessing. And so, yeah, it changed your life pretty immediately. And then how did it change dating? Because I want to hear how you met <laughs> your husband and what that, that was like, but it must have radically changed your dating life. I mean, no pressure to the guys to date Miss USA, but right? tell us about that. Well, I consider myself very lucky because I knew my husband before Miss USA. I actually knew him before Miss Nevada. So we met before I competed for Miss Nevada USA and we hit it off immediately. We knew that we wanted to be together, but I told him and he had no idea about this pageant world. And I said, I have this pageant thing and I want to do it one more time. And if I win, I can't get married. And he was ready to like put a ring on it and get married. (laughs) But he is very much a competitive type person. So once he kind of wrapped his mind around what I was stepping into, he was team, let's do this. Like, let's win this pageant. So he was helping me practice my questions and get ready for every single stage all the way up to Miss Universe. So I'm lucky that I was with him in advance. And, you know, as you're at events and everything, there's definitely men trying to hit on you. And I'm glad I didn't have to navigate that world of this football player and this actor and this and that. Like, I already had the one in my corner from the beginning. So I count myself as lucky for that. Yeah. So you were basically in your early mid twenties when you Mm -hmm. knew he was the one. And did you at that time know you guys wanted to build a family or what did you think about that? Did you talk about that? We both wanted children at some point in our relationship after marriage for us was the plan. And my husband is such a family man that he was talking about having kids from before we even got engaged. Like I wasn't necessarily ready to jump into that conversation yet. I'm like, let's get engaged first. Let's get married, have that conversation. But he was like, but when? Like, when is it time for us to have kids? I can't wait to be a dad, which I love that so much about him. And I knew I wanted to be a mom. I just wasn't quite there yet in my personal journey. But yeah, he's he's been on board and ready since day one for kids. And he's a, he's in the public eye as well, right? What does he do? Yes, my husband's an actor. So he's been on anything and everything from Desperate Housewives to Medium. He's been on, he has multiple movies on Netflix right now, Sniper Special Ops. So many like really great movies and shows that he's done over the years and still continues to do. We, he just filmed a movie that's coming out on Netflix this holiday season. So we definitely both had that spotlight. And then I think it was healthy for us because he understood the world that I was in having that spotlight. And then I also understood his world a little bit too. Oh, definitely. But being in the spotlight, as you navigate really personal or vulnerable moments, that also is a a decision that many people can't relate to. So Mm -hmm. when you started trying to conceive? I mean, when did you know, okay, now maybe you knew he was ready pretty early, but when did you decide at what stage were you like, okay, let's do this. Let's go for it. So we did have the conversation right before we got married because he was, like I said, ready to rock and roll. But I, I am a person that loves travel and life experiences like that so much. And I know that you can still do that with children. It's just different. So we had a plan and our game plan was wait two years And then we're going to start trying. After that two years came and went, we thought, oh my goodness, that was way too fast. Let's add another year or two to our plan. So we started trying in 2019 and we had discussed it and we felt like we were at a place just in our life where we were really ready. And I've heard that 
a lot of women will tell me, or I've been told before, oh, you're, you're never fully ready. But I do feel like we reached a point where we're like, we've had so many beautiful life experiences together on our own, and we're ready to create a family and start creating those life experiences with the family. So we felt really ready in 2019 when we started trying. And then what happened? You started trying. And when did you think you may have an issue? So I'm very type A and very like, I'm doing my research and knowing what to do. But at first we started trying, it was like, okay, cool. Let's, let's have a baby. Like, let's make this happen. And in both of our lives, we've been so successful in different areas where we we know what you have to do, A plus B equals C, and then you do it, and then you are successful if you do it properly. So when we started trying, we didn't really give it a lot of thought. We didn't think that there was going to be a fertility journey. We just started trying, and after a few months of not getting pregnant, I would say three to four months, I started questioning, like, hold up what's going on? And I don't know about you and if you've interviewed any Latinas yet, but there's this thing in my background and culture. It's like, you're Mexican. Like you can pop out babies like crazy. Like Your family is very fertile. My grandfather is one of 13. My mother, who is, she's not Mexican. My, my dad's side is Mexican. But my mother is one of six and they were all born within a year of each other. I was conceived on the honeymoon. So in my mind, I'm like, oh, I got, I got all the fertile genes. Like it's in my DNA. I am ready to have children. I'm young. I'm healthy as I'm sure you've heard that phrase before, because so many of us think that, oh, I'm young and healthy. Let's do this. So back to your question, after three to four months, I started kind of looking into why we may not be conceiving. And then by five or six months, I was in the doctor's office asking questions. I didn't want to wait till the one year period that If you're under 35, they tell you, try for a year. 90% of couples get pregnant in one year. I don't want to wait for that. I said, if there's something wrong now, wouldn't I want to know at six months rather than at a year and try with no like potential of getting pregnant for another six months? I would want to know earlier rather than later. So I started going in and getting the doctor's visits and figuring out what little adjustments we could make um, and and all of that. So that's kind of the the beginning of the journey. We've definitely heard that theme, mostly from Black women, actually, I've heard it, but that totally makes sense in different cultures. There is this expectation that certain cultures are super fertile. And the weird part about that is that certain conditions disproportionately affect women of color, for instance, like mm-hmm. endometriosis or fibroid tumors. So not only are these communities not always super fertile, they have more infertility issues. So I think it's so important mm-hmm. to represent, uh, not that any of us ever wanted to be an infertility spokesperson or an infertility poster mm-hmm. child, but to represent the great diversity of people it affects, no matter how young, healthy, fit you are, it's not about that, right? So so when you you guys went to a a specialist, what were you told and what, what happened next? So we started off just with my OB and they were checking my um, FSH, like the egg reserve and the progesterone, progesterone levels and my thyroid. And so initially around that six month mark, I was told your thyroid's a little high. It's within a, a healthy window for an adult 
woman, but if we're looking more at a fertility window, we want it to be a little bit more in like the sweet spot. So I got on some thyroid medication and that easily within about two months was corrected and I was right in that sweet spot window. I had started taking the tests to see when you're ovulating, the stick kits at home. And I, you know, you take those almost every dang day and I, everything, I always got a positive, you know, window for when we were most fertile, according to the tests. But I went into my doctor's office and tested my progesterone a certain amount of days after, and this is just my OB at the point six to seven months in. And she said, Hmm, it looks like you either ovulated early or didn't ovulate at all this cycle. And that was confusing to me because the kit at home said I ovulated, but my doctor's saying I did or didn't. She just doesn't know. And so the unknown is quite frustrating. And then my egg reserve looked fine at, at the time. So skip forward to about 10, 11 cycles in, and now we're going to a fertility specialist. And we had initial consultation phone call. We went on a trip to the Maldives for our five-year wedding anniversary. And in my mind, I'm like, oh, we are getting pregnant on this trip. We were there for three weeks. And, you know, the frustrating quote that everybody says, oh, just relax. It'll happen when you relax. Well, I'm like, we are very relaxed. We are having champagne. We are getting it on every single day and not with the pressure of, oh, we have to get pregnant. We're just in paradise having a great time. So in my mind, there's no way we are going to miss this window if we're making love every single day in a three-week window. And my, my fertility window is right in the, the center of our trip. But we get back and I have my first appointment with my fertility doctor. We do an ultrasound scan and I was told, you never ovulated. So it was not even a chance to get pregnant on that trip, which was just frustrating and mind blowing. And like, how didn't I ovulate? And how didn't I know that I didn't ovulate? Like, why is my body not telling me? Um, so I had formed a cyst and then, then I, then that was like a whole thing. So that's kind of what got us to the fertility specialist. But it's extra confusing because you're taking these, you're doing these tests every day and they're telling mm -hmm. you, you know, that happy face is such a mind trip because <laughs> you're like, oh, now, now is the time. Or like mm -hmm. you said, you're the most relaxed. This is a perfect backdrop. I remember one time I was on a media tour giving relationship advice because I'm a relationship author. And my husband and I had this hotel room because the next morning I was doing media. And I was like, oh, that makes sense. Of course, we're going to conceive. I was fertile on Valentine's Day, because I write love advice, of course, this way. After this many years, that's why <laughs> you always find these yeah. meanings, right? But so now you're you're in the, it must be so frustrating to hear you weren't ovulating. What answers did they have for you? Like, what did they tell you about that? So at this point, because of all the tests that I had done previously with my OB that was then transferred to my fertility doctor, it was literally the, the quote, like unexplained infertility, like there's no reason we don't know why there's nothing that went wrong that we can really correct. Like she explained it medically, the pituitary gland did not release the hormone to tell my ovary to release the egg, but she doesn't know why that didn't happen. It's just that's what happened this cycle. And then I formed a cyst and then I had to take birth control to hopefully minimize the cyst. And if it then dissolves, then we can start fertility treatment. But if not, we have to wait another cycle, which at this point, we're already a year into the journey. So after 
all the tests at my OB and then more tests that next cycle at my fertility doctor, it was just said straight to me, we're diagnosing you with unexplained infertility. We don't know why your numbers are good. Your thyroid's fine. Most of the time you definitely do ovulate when we do these tests. So we don't know, but you haven't conceived in 12 months. And so you're infertile. And it's just like, that's hard to hear. I'd rather you tell me what's wrong. I can figure out how to fix it, which I'm sure is so many people's experience. Just tell me what's wrong so I can do something about it. Yeah, like unexplained, which I always say is kind of a non-diagnosis diagnosis because right. how is that a diagnosis? But that's that accounts for something like 30% of cases. And our mm-hmm. average age, and I've said this before, but I think it's really important for any listeners to hear our, the average age of our reader at pregnant is just 33 years old and has been trying for four years. Wow. Actually more than four years. And this is wow. a, 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 a great um, number of our followers. We did a, a survey with them. So we have 1,100 responses of people in this in this category. And it's like, yeah, it wasn't an age issue and it people, they just didn't know why. So mm-hmm. at that point, was it suggested that you start fertility treatments? Yes. So then at that point, they wanted us to start fertility treatments. They explained to us the difference between IUI and IVF and the cost differences. And in in America in general, if your insurance does, does not cover IVF, it's very expensive and most insurances don't cover it. And in California, specifically where I live, it's very specifically excluded from health insurance coverage. We have great health insurance and it intentionally does not cover IVF or IUI. So we decided to start with IUI. And in my mind, I'm still very trying my best to stay positive and all of that. I'm like, well, I'm young, I'm healthy. There's no real reason why we're not getting pregnant. All I need is a teensy bit of medical help, a little sprinkle, and then I'm gonna get pregnant for sure. Like it makes perfect sense. We're gonna do the IUI, it's gonna go past all the layers it needs to go past to get right next to the egg. Like my, and they, my husband was tested as well. All of his numbers were great. So all we had to do was just get a little medical help. So after the first round, which was taking medication and then doing a trigger shot and then coming in for the IUI, we were sure we would be pregnant. Like just this little extra bit of help. That didn't happen. We went through another round and then we went through our final round. We ended up doing three rounds of IUI. Uh, The final one was shots for the medication the entire time and then a trigger shot and then the IUI. Um, And that one also ended us ended up with us not getting pregnant. So we were just kind of mind blown. And if you know, you hear my husband's side of the story, he always shares like, he was really good at being really strong for me. I was going through all the hormones in my body and very emotional. And every time it didn't work out, it just like was heartbreaking and devastating at this point. I kind of, when we're trying on our own, was like a little more hopeful, but once we had the medical help and it still wasn't happening, it just really crushed me. Um, But by the third IUI, my husband also was very just crushed. He was like, I don't, I don't get it. We both just, we didn't get it. We're both young, healthy. All of our numbers are great. Why is it not working? So by the third round, we were both just like, okay, we need a, we need a little break from this mentally and emotionally. So then we decided to take a break and let go of that for a little bit. Wow. How did it affect your marriage, your relationship? For us, I feel very 
blessed that it really brought us together. We leaned on each other for strength. I have an immediate community of family and friends that are going through infertility as well. So I've seen both sides of the coins. I've seen uh, someone that I'm very, very close to where it's really affected their marriage in a negative way. So I know that there's, there's both sides of it, but we and made an intention to really like lean into each other for strength and lean into each other when we, we didn't have strength, but to just still be there for each other. So it brought us closer together um, in so many ways. Like, and there's parts of the journey, like, yes, it was so hard, but things that we did that brought us closer together in so many positive ways of like, we were doing fertility yoga together every day. And I had no idea that that was a thing, but we're like, okay, we're going to Google fertility yoga on YouTube, put it up on the screen and do that together. Fertility meditation together. So like we were trying so hard to be intentional in every aspect, as you know, and I'm sure all the listeners know, there's so much to the journey where it's like, okay, we, we don't have plastic in our house anymore. It's glass only. We can't deal with the chemicals and we're eating these certain things. So it's like, we made it kind of like an adventure over the, you know, six to 12 cycles. Once we really started being intentional in that way, we were like, okay, we're going to do this together. So it was just kind of like life adjustments that we came more together in. I love that you did that together. I think so many people in partnerships and not just man, woman, any partnerships where you're trying to create a baby together. Mm-hmm. So often people are on their own islands, you yeah. know, grieving, navigating it. Um, but having a com, you have a common goal and, and working together yeah. towards ways to center yourselves and be intentional is such a great great idea. How about intimacy? If you're okay to go there, like how did that get affected? Cause I've spoken, Samantha Bush was on the podcast. We had a really candid talk about baby making versus love making. Um, we've talked a lot about that cause that's my background, obviously with the relationship advice, but for you, How was intimacy affected? And do you have any tips based on what worked or didn't work? Oh, gosh. I mean, it's got to be different for everybody, I'm sure. But for us, we tried so hard to make it more intimacy rather than just like, this is get, get your sperm inside of me and let's make this happen and make a baby. I tried my best to not really tell him or fill him in on the ovulation and just initiate it when I was feeling it and letting him initiate it when he was feeling it, which he's a man. So that's all the time, I feel like. <laughs> and, you know, but he was still very in tune. And he was like, hey, isn't, aren't, aren't we in the window? And I'm like, yeah, we're in the window. But don't ask me. Like, let's just not talk about it and just make it natural. So tried my best. We both tried our best to kind of keep the the intimacy alive in that. But there was definitely moments where it's like, if it, if we hadn't been intimate in two days and he's trying not to talk about it, but knows that we're in the window. He's like, Hey, Hey, it's been two days. Like, let's make this happen. Like, I'm like, okay, cool. Let's do this. And, you know, we would do our best to have fun with it and set the mood. That was, there was a book that I was reading that was like, don't let go of the romance. Don't let go of this, what makes it feel special. So we would still light candles and dim the lights and put on like some ocean sounds or music in the background or whatever it took. So we both we're trying really hard to keep it sexy and intimate. Although there was still that thought in the back of the mind of like, okay, we got to make a baby like this. Oh this is the time. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's the thing about this process because as intentional, I, you guys were so 
uh, consciously creating the moments that you could mm -hmm. control, right? Because there's so much out of our control. You start to feel like everything's out of your control when you're going through infertility yeah. or any life challenge like that. You're like, nothing is in my control, but that's not actually true. So yeah. what you can control, it sounds like you made the, the most of. And then what happened? So you were, you were going through, you took this break after multiple cycles and months and, and heartache and you're, you're, mm -hmm. you're, you're drinking out of glasses and you're meditating. And, and then what happened? So, right. We were doing all of that and we decided to take some time off. And the plan was for me, at least in my head was we're going to start IVF in the summer, we're just going to give my body a little bit of reset, let it detox of all the chemicals that we've been injecting it with to get pregnant. And, and it wasn't the, oh, we're stopping, we're, we're stopping our efforts to try. It was just, we're getting the chemicals out of my body. And then we're going to go in and do IVF in a few months. At the last IUI round, we were also doing acupuncture. And in my mind, that was the, my like, natural fertility treatment because I went to an acupuncturist that was very highly specialized in Chinese medicine and he was a fertility acupuncturist specifically. So I continued to go to him even after we stopped our IUI treatments once to twice a week as he recommended. And then the next cycle, we ended up getting pregnant, which was just like mind blowing. Like how in the world I just didn't think it was naturally like, going to happen naturally for us at that point, a year and a half into our journey, like that's not even possible in my mind, but the next cycle with after three rounds of IUI and then two months of fertility acupuncture, we got pregnant on our own. I literally didn't think it was possible at that point. That's incredible. Some people believe that some of the drugs, it takes a few months for the eggs to, like, I'm not a medical expert, so I'm not going to pretend to be one. But uh, some doctors have told me, actually, all the medication and hormones that are in us are preparing the eggs a few months in advance. So it could be the combination mm, of the Western and yeah. the Eastern. That was the magic thing. But I, you know, we, we had, we published an essay by an embryologist who years of infertility and IVF and quote unquote bad embryos and then got pregnant naturally. And she still wants to slap people when they say to her, well, that's, that's just it. You just had to stop. That's why it worked. I'll mm -hmm. <laughs> so we'll say that to you. And how do you feel about that? Oh my goodness. Well, when people would say that to me, when we were still trying, it was so frustrating and it's almost hard to like, for me to know how to react because I kind of have the initial like Latina spice of wanting to snap at them and be like, you can't say that. Like that just not, it's not okay. Um, but I even had people say that to me after we conceived and when they go, Oh, well that's why, like you were done with your IUI, you just relaxed and that's when it happened. And I'm like, no girl, I was relaxed in the Maldives. I was relaxed plenty of other times. <laughs> like, let me tell you, that's not what it was. It was, that was, apparently the timing that I was supposed to be pregnant and we all have a different journey, but yeah, it's, it's quite frustrating. I think everybody has their own journey and I've tried my best to share about my fertility journey after the fact of getting pregnant. I wanted to share in the moment, but it was too painful and too vulnerable in the moment. But that's something that I've definitely tried to bring awareness to of things that you can say to support someone and then what not to say, because those kind of comments can be really painful. Oh, absolutely. I mean, I think um, it's interesting because we connected through Pregnantish 
a year mm-hmm. or two ago. Yeah. And I don't know how you found us. Do you remember? But I, um, I know you were kind of navigating it quietly. And I yeah. said, Mia, when, when and if you're ready, I want to talk to you. And yeah. you said, not now, but thank you. And I'll, I'll share with you when I'm ready. Yeah. How did you find us? And were you looking for actively for support and resources at that time? I was looking for supportive resources. So I am a big Instagram user and I, I find resources through Instagram easily. And I find those through hashtags. So I started looking up and connecting with different accounts through the infertility hashtags. And it felt the journey felt so isolating because at that time, no one that I knew in my circle was really going through it. Meanwhile, I come to find out that multiple people in my circle are going through it just quietly, just as I was. So finding that community that I could kind of watch from afar on Instagram and wasn't quite ready to actively participate in yet. I There were so many times where I wanted to comment on a post or wanted to engage in a live, but I felt like, Oh, I don't, I don't want anyone to know that this is my journey at this moment. So I would just silently watch and absorb the information. And and there is so much support within the infertility community. I just wasn't aware until I actively started searching for it. So that's why I really appreciate like your page and the other pages that are out there giving resources, information, and even just like comfort and reassurance that you're not alone. Like that was so helpful to me because it feels very isolating when you first start the journey and you don't know other people in your group that are going through it in your circle of friends. Oh, 100%. It's it's so isolating. And social media is a godsend that way because mm-hmm. as much as, you know, social media has its faults, we all know that, when you are going through an isolating experience and to find so many like-minded people who understand it, our last guest on the podcast said, unless you've been through it, like you can give advice, but you don't quite understand it, the nuances of it, right? So um, that's the beautiful part. For your pregnancy test moment, mm-hmm. you know, I, I can only imagine the shock you felt Bring me back to that moment when you tested what happened. And leading up to that, there were so many months and cycles with the negative pregnancy test, which is just crushing and heartbreaking every time. And I'm like, dang, I don't even want to take a pregnancy test at this point. But I still was taking pregnancy tests because you just can't help it sometimes. So it was on the very day that I was supposed to start my period. And leading up to that, I had not had my husband look at the pregnancy tests with me that last 18 cycles. So cycle 19, the one that we got pregnant on, I, he had told me before, I really want to be a part of this with you. Like we're in this together. Even if it's negative, I want to be a part of looking at the test with you. And I'm just like, no, you don't. It sucks. Like it's kind of heartbreaking and you don't want to do it. So he had been up before me because he had work that morning. I got out of bed, took the test, turned it upside down on the countertop And then went and grabbed him from the living room. I'm like, all right, you want to come see this? Like, this is not fun. Like, let's do this together. And so he walked with me. I'm recording on my phone because I had recorded so many other ones, even though they were all negative. And I grabbed the stick. I looked at it. And I was just confused. (laughs) I didn't know that it was like, because it was a very faint line. And I did not know that a faint line means you're pregnant. I thought a faint line meant like, maybe. (laughs) (laughs) And so we're like on this 24 hour window of like, okay, well, we're just going to wait and see till the next day. 
Meanwhile, he's working all day. I call my fertility doctor and I'm like, yo, I saw you guys last month. We didn't do anything this month, but I have a faint line. I want to come in for a blood test. So I go in for the blood test. They call me a few hours later. Let me know that, yes, you are pregnant. Your numbers look great. And so while my husband is still at work, I go to the store. I like buy balloons and a poster board that says we're pregnant. And I decorate the whole living room. And then when he comes in from work, he sees it. And he's exhausted after the longest day of work ever. And he's in complete shock. I'm super excited. Oh, that's amazing. You know, we're doing this campaign about the two-week wait and pregnancy Mm -hmm. test moments. And there are three teams that we've identified within the infertility community in particular. Because I think for some people testing, you know, obviously there are high stakes, whether or not you've been through infertility. But when Mm -hmm. you've been through infertility, you're thinking a thousand other thoughts come into play. Past heartache, disbelief, how it'll affect others maybe comes into play. So the three teams we've identified are team tell all, like I'm going to share the good, the bad, the ugly, just like Mm -hmm. video recording your pregnancy test moment. I don't care what it says. I'm going to be honest about the result or team don't tell. I'm not going to tell even close people because I don't want unsolicited advice. I don't want to hurt others who may be struggling. There's, I've been burned before. And then team tell me, is this a line? Do you see a line? You know those people <laughs> who, mm-hmm. post, who post their pregnancy test or who say like, should I eat pineapples or what should I do after transfer? So team right. tell all, team don't tell, team tell me. Which team, Nia, were you on during this process? Oh, 100% don't tell. I was just in that space in my life. Besides my husband, I, I ain't telling anybody. And it's like one of those things with the fertility journey where I just and it was almost too good to be true. So it's just like, I'm keeping it to myself until, until we're like far in the, in the pregnancy part of the journey. So it was definitely team don't tell. Like we are not telling anyone for a while. Telling or not telling anyone your pregnancy test result is a very personal decision and should be based on your comfort. And this is why we've partnered with First Response Pregnancy and their new Comfort Check Pregnancy Test Kit, a value pack which includes eight pregnancy tests so you can test early and often. The three first response early test result tests and five first response pregnancy test strips means more ways to test and be certain of your result. The infertility community knows deeply what two lines on a pregnancy test means and why we may want to broadcast results, whatever the results are, ask others for advice, or keep quiet as we figure out if we're pregnant. So which two-week wait testing team are you on? Hashtag team tell all, team don't tell, or team tell me. Share your story on Instagram, tag pregnantish and first response pregnancy, and join the conversation. And thanks to first response pregnancy and their new comfort check pregnancy test kit for supporting this episode and the experiences we have when trying to conceive. And now back to hearing Nia's experience on Team Don't Tell. So with Team Don't Tell, you obviously shared it with your husband, maybe close friends and family, but that was it. But you have a really big Instagram platform. So Mm -hmm. when did you decide you're coming out and you're sharing that story? And then the other, the backstory to get there, when did you decide to share that? That was midway through our fourth month, almost five months in because of the whole thought process that I was going through in my head of, well, what, what if it doesn't work out? I had had two friends that had 
late in the first trimester miscarriages and had to go in for surgery and all of that. So I was still very hesitant because in my immediate circle, I've seen miscarriages and I've seen that. So I just, until multiple ultrasounds, we're like, okay, I see the baby. The baby is there because in the beginning you're so sm- you're so small you don't you don't feel anything besides maybe like a little nauseous or whatever. But I was really wanting to wait until multiple ultrasounds, multiple checkups with my doctor. It's confirmed, confirmed, confirmed. Like we are a hundred percent and we're moving forward in this journey farther than the initial like beginning stages. So that's yeah. That was the thought process. Wow. So it. how far along are you right now? Amazing. I just this week. Tomorrow, technically, we'll be at seven months, 28 weeks. Oh, my goodness. Well, the audience can't see you, but I can tell you, you look you look fantastic. So are you feeling, how, how's it been? Has it been a good experience? It's been a good experience. It's been a good journey. I'm very grateful to have such a supportive husband. I would say the first four to five months, I couldn't get in the kitchen with all of the food aversions and like the scents and everything like that. So he was making all the food, doing all the dishes, just really stepping it up for the team. Amazing. So since you've come out with your infertility experience, have you, what kind of response have you gotten? It's been mind blowing. The response just even specifically in the Instagram DMs, let alone the people commenting on my actual posts. So many people reaching out to me intimately in the DM saying, Hey, I can't comment on your post because this is so new or so painful or so current for me, but I wanted to share my story with you. So hearing women's stories, having them ask me for resources, and of course, sharing as best that I can and leading them to other pages like yours that have been really helpful and supportive. And even now in other people's journeys that maybe three months ago when I shared, when I first shared about my infertility journey to now having women say, hey, I'm pregnant. I'm six weeks pregnant. I'm eight weeks pregnant. So it's been really beautiful to connect with women on different parts of their journeys. And I still have women, even though the first time I shared about infertility was months ago, I still have women reaching out saying, hey, I'm going through infertility too. Can you share with me about this part of your experience? Or how did you deal with this? Or what was your experience with that? So it's created even more of a community And I feel with my platform very honored and I realize how special it is to be a part of that community and be there for people, even people that I don't know, because it's, it's definitely a hard journey, but I think the the community in it makes it a little bit, a little bit easier, not easier, but more able to navigate through, I guess. I totally agree with that. And I, it's a silent epidemic. You start to realize, oh my gosh, it's so many people, but how did your experience with both martial arts and pageants, in, did it in any way prepare you for this chapter, this crazy chapter you've gone through the last couple of years? If anything, it's just prepared me for never give up and keep pushing forward in mo- multiple ways. Like I've competed in Taekwondo my entire life at like a national and international competitive level. And I've gotten a spirit award, which is like, thanks for coming, but you got nothing. And then had to go back and like, keep moving and keep pushing forward and come back and, you know, place and do better the next time. And then same with pageants, I've gone and competed and done my very best and didn't get the crown and just had to keep moving forward. And so it's like that will to 
know that if I keep stepping forward, whatever that journey looks like for me, I will eventually be a mother. And that's something that I learned through a lot of podcasts as well is like, it might not be necessarily, and I had to kind of prepare my mind for this. And it might not be me and my husband naturally that make a baby or with IUI, it might be IVF. It might be an egg donor. It might be a sperm donor. It might be adoption. And just knowing that if it's on my heart to be a mother, then I will be. And just don't, I don't know what that will look like. And so we got very lucky with the way that our journey turned out, but I had to prepare my mind of like, it could be different. Like who knows what this looks like for us, you know? That's a beautiful way to end and a very inspiring way. And thank you so much for sharing your story, Nia. I can't wait to follow along as your family expands and we're all so excited for you. But thank you for being here on the Pregnish Podcast. Thank you so much for having me. And thank you for listening to another episode of the podcast Pregnantish. We look forward to continuing to tell amazing stories of people who create their families with science and technology, continue to share the great lengths people who so deserve to be parents go to to create their families. And we hope you continue to tell your friends, subscribe, rate us, and tune in again. Until next time.